the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. From my remote location away from the studio, I am happy to be part of Total Bees Show episode 31. And let me say, this week I should have been in studio. We were going to have a guest to interview, but because of American Thanksgiving throwing off my schedule with the person who was going to be interviewed, that didn't come together. So today we've got a very special episode. Huge announcement we're going to talk about in the middle of the show. Um, things that everyone speculated was going to happen, maybe is going to happen. But... There's so much going on in the wrestling world, and I thank producer Chris for making this happen with me at my remote location, not in studio. How are you today, Chris? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. You know, it's a beautiful day, and I'm ready to, to bang out another another gem here. Yeah. Well, let's start with the most important thing, Chris. Okay. You, were, you had sent me a text a matter of days ago where you said, geez, maybe you're right, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best text I ever got from you. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe you're right, Mike. Let's, let's elaborate on that. Let's, let's take away the word maybe. And let's start with the premise of, yes, Mike, you're a hundred percent right. Um, what did you mean by that text, Chris? Well, well, first off, I know it was a red letter day for you because you've, you've, I don't know if you've ever gotten that text from me. Number one. I'm still, I'm still smiling about it. I, I finally, finally, my, my wingman is sitting there admitting what he should have been admitting from the start, that I have some sort of sick intuition and that when I say something, even if it seems wrong, maybe it's right. All right, let's not go too far on a limb here. I did use the, the word maybe. I know you've tried to jettison that like space junk from the, from the ship, but I did say maybe you're right. And what we're referring to is the CM Punk elite um, situation that's going on with AEW. Yeah. So in my world, maybe you're right means, okay, Mike's right. And I don't want to, I don't want to have to eat too much crow. Right. So I said right from the start, remember, and we should actually play all the audio of all the times I said it. I said right from the start, there is no way in the world of reality as I know it, that Kenny Omega went into a locker room where there, where it was so hostile that there might be a shoot. Remember at that time I said, Kenny Omega would never put himself in that situation. Don Callis would never let Kenny Omega walk into that situation. And I just didn't believe it. If it was that hostile, Kenny Omega would remove himself and be above it. And that's just from knowing him when he broke into the business in the early 2000s and knowing him right up into, I'm one of the few people Kenny Omega has had any negative uh, interaction with or heat, if you will. And I don't think that. I'm, I'm insignificant in Kenny's world. He does not have heat with me, but whatever it is. So Kenny's the kind of guy that if he had a problem with the way someone was behaving, he would send a text and say, Hey man, it's time to grow up. You're not, you know, you're not bigger than the company. He would do it by text. He's not a kind of guy. And he, and if he did go to a face to face discussion, he would approach it professionally and properly. And he'd say, you know, like, come on, like, we're all bigger than this. Let's get on the same page. He would not go into a situation where two guys were like, we're going to storm into his room. We're going to say our piece and who cares what the hell happened. So I knew from the start that that seemed like a stretch. Okay. 
last week on Dynamite, finally, people, my phone got blown up by people who said, you know, you might be right. Because the, the elite, CM, or, uh, Kenny Omega and the Bucks went on TV and live in Chicago and, and act like, acted like assholes, easeholes, and sat there and mimicked CM Punk and made fun of him, which is also something that if Tony Khan was in a legal battle with CM Punk, he would be saying, do not do anything that hurts my ability to settle this and get it off our books. Right. Do not enrage him if he's got a legal position to hold us up. That would never happen. Tony Khan would have sat there and said, guys, you're making the situation worse, not better. Grow up. And and that's what right? that's what I caught because and that's why I sent you that article because I they also mimicked uh, a steal uh, Kenny Omega before the end of the match bit somebody in the arm and then hit whoever with the with Punk's GTS. Uh, of course, he went yeah. on t- Twitter right after and and credited the GTS to Kenta, but uh, nonetheless, it was a pretty clear dig as far as I could tell. And it just, to me, it struck me the wrong way. Like most people are like, oh, they're just being, you're, they're just being easeholes, right? They're just being easeholes. They're, they're not, but I, I, to me, that's a tip of the hand. To me, that's a tip of the hand that they're trying to get an angle going. And maybe this was legit at one point. Maybe it was. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Meltzer. Keep going. This is, this is just like, like you said though, like you said earlier uh, when we first talked about it, if it is, if it was a shoot, and they've now worked it out. They're going to play it off like it was a work all along. And yeah, that's not what I. Oh yeah, okay, I did say that. Yeah, yeah, and so that's what I think is happening now. I I don't know, but either way, there is a possibility now that you were right. I still okay, don't think they could pull it off though. But anyways, okay, go ahead. let's change let let's change that word from possibility to probability <laughs> that I'm right. I don't know about probability. I have said all I have said all along that into the new year. One of the first things that's going to happen is that shocking moment when CM Punk returns. There's two ways they can play that. They're either going to say that a legal settlement has been reached and, and CM Punk's contract is going to be enforced and Punk has chosen to get his contract enforced so he can't be fired over the incident. Or it's going to come out that Tony, uh, that CM Punk had Tony Khan over the barrel in supposed legal action and the settlement from Tony Khan's position is that he is going to honor the contract. And that way everyone saves space because I know it's a work. But at that point, you're going to hear Dave Meltzer coming out saying, no, this was a very much a shoot. The people I talked to told me it was a shoot and they would never work me. That's what you're going to hear Dave Meltzer say. Right. When in reality, everything that happened here that makes people believe it was a shoot happened behind closed doors and with people people um, pushing a narrative. That's all that's happened here. And people wanted to eat that, that narrative. Like I just ate my oatmeal this morning. People wanted to believe, well, there's no way they work us on this. Ryan Pillman and Kevin Sullivan did it. It can be done. And that's what's happened here. They, they're working the world and the people believe it, but they've been working since day one. I don't think it started as a shoot. I think there might've been legitimate tension between CM Punk and Adam Page. Well, if you notice, there's no talk of CM Punk and Adam Page. That got swept under the carpet. But then they changed it to, okay, maybe CM Punk and the Elite are going to have an issue. Well, because those four can go into matches together. That's where that's going. And it's been a work right from the start. I've been right. And this is a wonderful day in the Total BDC's world. I've been right. The rest of the world has been wrong. But nobody's going to come out and say that. They're going to believe Dave Meltzer's narrative. But it started out very real, but everyone 
for the sake of the business, all going on the same page. Shut up, Dave. You're wrong. Just like Montreal was a work, but because you wanted to believe Bret Hart, because why would Bret work you? You you sat there and you made money on your Wrestling Observer by selling it like it's real. So people, you need to see through things. Believe when I tell you, hey, there's a motivated reason why everyone got on the same page here before it even started. Not after it started. And then they were like, oh, well, we should all work together and turn this into money. No, that's not how it happened. Right from square one, this has been a work. And I, I'm telling you, it made sense that they get on TV right in time, or they get back right in time for the pay-per-view. They get on TV during November sweeps. No one's losing in this work. If this was a shoot and Kenny Omega got suspended for something he didn't think he did wrong, he'd be so far out of that company permanently. Trust me, I've tried to, de- I've tried to have a relationship with Kenny Omega where I was a booker and he was a main event talent. And I would say, hey, Kenny, you got to adjust this way. It was the hardest conversation ever to have because as an artist, he believed what he was doing and he didn't take well to direction that said, Hey, I need you to change. Now, if, if Tony Khan came to him and said, listen, I want to suspend you because you were involved in a locker room shoot and Kenny Omega didn't believe you did anything wrong. He'd say, Tony, it's been a pleasure doing business with you. I need my release immediately. I got bit in your locker room. I will sue you for this. And I want my contract released. There would be five, four guys wanting releases, five guys, probably a steal too, if that had been a shoot. But apparently the elite were happy sitting at home suspended. No, that doesn't make sense. Omega would be so far to New Japan and WWE right now permanently, and he'd be done with AEW for the treatment he received if that, if that suspension was real. It's all a storyline. I'm sorry, people, but it's true. I know you want to believe that, oh, the, the elite would never work the fans. They're for the fans. Guess what? They want the fans to be at the edge of their seats going, this is great. And this angle might turn into something great. Uh, okay. Uh, you know what? I, I regret saying that you possibly could be correct after that 10-minute uh, 10-minute rant. But you, you made a lot of really good points in that, in that rant. However, uh, the, reason, uh, the reasons are the same why I don't think it's a shoot. They couldn't pull it off, number one. Number two, and you've, you've covered the first one, but number two, they completely bodged up. Sweeps week. It's almost the end of November. Sweeps are basically over when the when the elite went back on TV. It's not going to have any sort of impact whatsoever, and they're not going to be able to. The, the whole point, the whole function of sweeps and having these big ratings during this period is so the parent company can attract advertisers. So they screwed that up. So I just how I did just, they screw I, that up? Did I, they not have a pretty good November for for? TV ratings had nothing. It had nothing to do with the elite, though. That's the point. So, why do you say it had nothing to do with the elite? Because they didn't come back until the till last week, like the two weeks. Two weeks. It was announced. It was announced one week. Then they did the pay per view. Then they came out of the pay per view and did the match. Yeah. So, like, but they've only been back on TV. Announcements don't draw ratings on television. Okay, but what yeah, but what you have to understand is the the key week that would have been tough for Tony Khan and the and and his people to get ready for was actually the night before Thanksgiving, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, right? Yes, that would have been th- this week. <laughs> That's the this night that you're sitting there going this is going to be a tough night, everyone's traveling, it's we're up against a lot. That's when they got the elite into the ring. I know, but you would they use it. They, uh, no, 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 no. That's the toughest week in the month of November for them because they're building into a pay-per-view with MJF going, chasing the title. So they didn't need the elite in the first week of November. 
and they didn't need the elite. They announced the elite in the second week of November, if I'm not mistaken, or was that the third? Either way, they had two weeks of, of building to that pay-per-view, which was the big main event money match of MJF against, against John Moxley. I got something to say about John Moxley. I don't want to change subjects. So get me back to Moxley in a second. Okay. The reason why the elite de- debuted the night before Thanksgiving is that's the night where Tony Khan, or that's when they returned. That's the night Tony Khan's most worried about doing a 700,000 viewership. And he did, that would look really bad for him. So strategically, it makes more sense that you would hold the elite until that night. And I don't, I don't get why you don't see that. I'm right. You're wrong. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> you. You definitely aren't. And we'll move on to John Moxley. Tell me more about John Moxley. What what struck you? So John Moxley is the top baby face in all elite wrestling. Does he look like a baby face? No. No, I don't think so. I think he's kind of a ugly. What's that word? He's uh, he's kind of lumbering, and he he look. He's got that frown on his face. He could be sold as a as a tough heel. But he's. But if you haven't watched All Elite, and then all of a sudden you're watching it, and the first thing you see is him in a face-to-face with Danielson and William Regal, you think he's the heel because he looks like a he looks like a mean, ugly person. Yeah. How, how are you going to sell him? As a, realize that your mainstream appeal is what you need to grow on. You've got the hard. You've got the hardcore wrestling audience. The mainstream appeal is where you can grow. So why in the world is John Moxley your number one babyface? See, you could get by with MJF as your number one babyface because people see him on TV and think, oh, there's a handsome-looking fellow. There's a good-looking fellow. Kenny Omega should be your top babyface. What they're doing with Kenny Omega shows Tony Khan's not booker of the world. He's not even he's not even qualified to be the booker of your local indie the way he puts this stuff together. Omega's a heel air guitaring to the ring? Yeah, what a waste. You're not... You're not I'm not hating you for air guitaring. I'm, I'm it's like when I go to the bar and some guys up there in ACDC comes on and he air guitars and me and my buddies are laughing saying, what a moron. I hope he goes and talks to a girl next so we can see him crash and burn. Kenny, do not air guitar to the ring. Bad enough. You have to have Don Callis, the world's un- most uncool person in your corner. Now air guitaring to the ring makes you look like an uncool person. You're the most talented wrestler in the world. Why are you doing these stupid things to try and like? What are you hoping to accomplish? It's ridiculous. All right, I want to come back. I want to come back to Don Callis, but I want to talk okay. about Kenny Omega here, or not Kenny Omega, rather okay. John Moxley, because I think you're okay. right, right about him being a heel. However, I think he can be effective as a face. Like him starting with the company as a face, I think that was good. However. It's played its course. Like, it's over. And you tell me this every week. You're like, every time you see something with him, you're like, ah, oh, what is going on with this yeah. guy? And you're right. You're right about this. I'll give you, I'll give the devil his due here. You're absolutely correct. John Moxley should be turned and turned immediately. But, like, because he's just not effective as a babyface anymore. I think he can be effective as a babyface, as, as sort of that, that gruff character you're talking about. That can work. But it's over now. I just told you the two guys that should be top baby faces, either MJF, which I would not do. Actually, the Wardlow could be a top baby face, but they buried him underneath in the secondary title picture because they're slowly building him to top. And Kenny Omega needs to be your top baby face because the world wants to cheer him as the greatest wrestler on the planet. I agree. That's how you build Kenny Omega. But, oh, Kenny wants to have Don in the company, and Don has to be a heel. And that, okay, there you go. You've lost it. You're pissing away. When you, when you have a wrestling company, 
your talent is your assets. It's how you present them to the world. It's not a legitimate sports competition where you have to beat the competition in a, in a head-to-head combat. You have to beat them by how creatively you put them on the board. The way that they put Kenny Omega on the board, and that's what Kenny wants to do. This is on Kenny. It's not on Tony Khan. Kenny wants to be a part of this six-man trios thing. It's a waste of your talent. And yeah. it's not the best way to turn your efforts into money. And we just had Kenny Omega on the shelf for nine months. Him being in trios is actually a waste of what is a short shelf life to return money to the company. And he's getting paid a lot of it. You need him in money singles matches where he's the baby face and he's working heels who, who he has to overcome as the best wrestler in the world. Ricky Steamboat never would have worked as a heel. Right. Kenny Omega thinks Kenny Omega fancies himself as having more charisma than Ricky Steamboat. Okay, if Ricky Steamboat had come to the WWF ring in the late 80s or early 90s playing air guitar and trying to act like an ass, he would, it, he, funny, he would have known it to be beneath him. Two, it wouldn't have worked. Kenny Omega coming to the ring playing an air guitar is ridiculous. Nothing good is coming out of it. And all you Kenny Omega fans can, can go on Twitter and say, I am crazy. But I've been right all along about all elite. I am more. You love to bring up Jim Cornette and how you love Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette believes it's a shoot. I believe it's a work. I'm more in tune with what AEW is doing right and wrong than Jim Cornette is. Uh, that's fair. What no. were you going to say about Callis? Okay. What were you going to say about Callis? I want to know about Callis. What's like? What is the? What is wrong with Don Cal? I know that this is a long, long, and long question for you, but like he's a excellent talker he's really good no he's not but when he's on, no he's not i think he is but when he's on tv it's like a black hole of charisma what is what is the deal okay. with that so don is miscast in the role of kenny omega's manager because don is a guy who should dominate a segment on the mic but it, with the elite they're not giving him much chance he is there as a hanger on because that's really who don Callis is in life a hanger on and he's actually pro- actually i said he was miscast he's actually properly cast problem is when Don Callis talks, he is delivering a role. And it's every time he's ever talked in his career, he is delivering the natural. He is delivering Cyrus. He is delivering the Jackal. It's not natural. And that's the problem with Don Callis. So people are like, oh, I've loved Don Callis my whole life. Guess what? He just delivered the role that he saw. That's what's wrong with wrestling. If you watch what used to work in the 70s and 80s, guys weren't delivering the role. They were living the role. They made the role believable because that's what the role was. Kayfabe meant you had to be who you pretended to be. You had to live it. You had to, when you went to the corner store, if someone said, hey, I really like, I really like your, you, your, you know, I really like that you killed the baby face, guy might snicker, wank, and say thanks. But usually if somebody said, you killed the baby face, you're a piece of shit shut up and give me what I'm here for. Here's your money. Leave me alone. Yes. You still played the role. Don Callis is naturally a heel. He's an asshole in person. He's an ass. He, he believes he's some, some sort of special, but every time, if you go, go back and watch any Don Callis promo, go back and watch any Don Callis performance in ECW when he was considered the best color man in the business. And now realize, now watch it as if you're watching for him to be delivering the role. And you'll understand what I'm saying. He didn't, it wasn't natural, the natural. <laughs> it was Don Callis delivering a role, and that makes it unbelievable. Wrestling at its finest is when, when Bret Hart acted like the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be, it seemed real because Bret Hart believed he was those things. When Shawn Michaels was the heartbreak kid, he believed he was the heartbreak kid. When Steve Austin was Stone Cold, he believed he was Stone Cold Steve Austin. 
Look at the way he's lived his life before and since. Mick Foley. All those guys, the reason they're iconic characters is they, they managed to believe it. The one that's amazing is how the hell the Undertaker pe- yes. believed he was that. But he did it. He believed it. He, it wasn't like he was delivering a role. It was, it, he made it natural to his personality. See, if Callis would just act more like Don Callis does in real life, people would hate him I think and he'd be, be more effective. But in All Elite right now, his role is to just be a cheerleader. He doesn't talk much. And when he talks, he's there to reinforce the nonsense that the elite is saying. I'm talking a lot about All Elite. The reason why I shifted from not talking about the big leagues to talking a lot about the big leagues is because somewhere along the line, in about episode 10, I started to see a lot of problems with the way Tony Khan puts his stuff together. And it's made it actually fairly predictable. It's made it very easy for me to see some of the flaws. One of the things I said last week when I was talking about what Impact Wrestling had to do was I said, let Tony Khan have another year where he makes another year of mistakes because he made so many in 2022. He's going to make more in 2023 because he doesn't have a handle on the train that's on, on, the, on the rails. Right. And it's going to fall off the rails. Okay. And that's because Tony Khan... Okay, so I got I, I got something for you when you finish here. Okay, cool. Okay, so what would you do with Don Callis? Who would you put him with? I'm putting you on the spot here. We haven't talked about this beforehand, but Don Callis does have the ability, I believe, if he's not delivering like you say, to be a very effective heel manager. Who do you put him with? You are far too kind to of Don Callis. Don <laughs> Callis didn't deliver for Kurgan. No, Give me one sure. example where Don Callis has delivered for anybody. He hasn't. ECW. You're one of the false. No. ECW, Paul Heyman knew how to produce that show. He was, he, he was clever as a color commentator. He had a run, and it was a short run. I think he was only effective as one of the best color commentators for maybe 15 months. As the network, he was good. He was working with Joey Styles, who was the best solo play-by-play guy in the world. Well, yeah, you got to get him to nah. work with somebody, right? It's a collaborative environment. So, like, you so, uh, you don't think I, he could be an effective manager is what you're saying? No. Oh, okay. Put him with Dr. Luther. Put him with Dr. Luther. I think that'll work. They, Don is not – the problem is why Don wouldn't be a good manager is because Bobby Heenan knew how to get his guys over. Bobby Heenan knew how to talk. He could He could go with a guy who had no charisma, and he could make him seem like, okay, he's ready for Hogan. Right, because the way yeah. Bobby Heenan would talk, so Callis needs to learn how to talk to put over the guy he's he's managing. I agree. The with problem this. is Callis spends half his time trying to get himself over. Yeah, Don has never been an effective manager. Sorry to say, there's no value there. You know what I would do if I was Tony Khan and I had Don Callis on contract? How much you making, Don? Two hundred thousand dollars. Well, I'm going to be saving two hundred thousand dollars today because you're fired. You've got you. You bring nothing to the table. Okay. All right. I wonder well, what he brought. To, I, I wonder what he brought to the table in impact in the three years he was the vice president. They've been in five years that that they that since Scott Demore and Don Callis took over as vice presidents of, of impact. Scott's been the consistent. Scott's been the talent friendly leader of that company and done the right thing. Scott's um, transitioned through a lot of change through a pandemic. Don just waited until he got offered more money to AEW and jumped off. Because Don Callis is just waiting for his next good opportunity. Whatever Kenny Omega does, Don's going to do because he's a follower. You don't want followers in your locker room. There's no value there. All right. You heard it right from Mike Davidson. There is no value to Don Callis in all elite wrestling. And if you don't agree with me, yeah, go on Twitter. Tell me I'm stupid. I love it. I absolutely love it. When CM Punk comes back, all you people who said I was stupid 
are all going to look kind of weird, aren't you? Oh, no, because you're going to believe the Dave Meltzer narrative, that it was a work, that it turned into work after it was a very real situation. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm being such a dick today. I got to I gotta lighten up on that, don't I? I think you do a little bit. Maybe we'll just take a little break here and we'll come back. All right, here we go. I'm ready for the break. This episode of the Total Bees Sheet Show is powered by FirstRow.ca, Canada's online collectible store where you'll find the coolest sports cards, autographs from your favorites, action figures, and of course, wrestling collectibles galore. As a loyal Total Bees Sheet Show listener, you can get 10% off your order using the code BEESSHEES. Again, the code is B-E-E-Z. S-H-E-E-Z, one word, and receive 10% off your order. Firstrow.ca, Canada's online collectible store. We're back now, and Mike, I want to talk to you about something, because it seems that Mike Davidson... You are starting rumors again that are unsubstantiated, and you had to delete, yeah, just, a, delete a Facebook post as a result. Yeah, just like I said, uh, CM Punk isn't really having, it's all a work, and everyone says, oh, you're wrong, and that, that seems unsubstantiated, although it seems true. I wrote something on Facebook, and I had to take it down because the, so here's what happened. Recently, I heard from a very reliable source that there's a certain wrestling company coming to Winnipeg and it's a big deal. And I heard it from one source and he said, but please, you know, it can't be released yet. Don't like, don't tell anybody very, very specifically. Don't tell anybody was what I was told. But then because I was like, okay, so there's something to this. And I started digging around and I asked a few people in the know. I asked uh, somebody who worked at the venue. I asked some, or somebody who was, in kind of management at the venue because I'd done some work at the venue. And I asked, I kept asking around and, and digging, digging, digging. And somebody said, yeah, confirmed. They're definitely coming to Winnipeg on this date. Now, interestingly enough, every year in February or March, WWE comes to Winnipeg as part of their Road to WrestleMania tour. This would be one of the major competitors to WWE. Right. WWE has not announced anything in March. And this other company has been trying very, very hard to get into Winnipeg, um, probably because two of their biggest stars are from Winnipeg. Draw your own conclusion. Yes. I have heard that that company has a date in Winnipeg, as I said in Facebook, which immediately got taken down. I have heard the exact date that they may be coming to Winnipeg. So as a wrestling fan, it's going to be a very, very exciting spring in Winnipeg because if I'm even 25% true, or 100% or 50% true. I'm not 100% true. Right. But if it's 50-50 if it's right now, and I believe it's 90-10, but if it's 50-50 right now, Winnipeg fans are going to go berserk for this announcement. So why I took it down was because I originally was told, hey, they're coming in March, um, and but don't tell anybody. And then I, wor- I worked very hard to get outside confirmation, and I got confirmation from one person who said, yeah, that, that is, that seems to be what's happening. And then I heard, yeah, exactly. It's happening. And it's happening on this particular date. And so that's what I put on Facebook. Right. The person then said, Hey, if I were you, I'd take that down. So obviously the person who told me the date said, Hey, it's not a hundred percent confirmed, but Winnipeg fans are going to love it. Not to bait and switch, but it's going to be amazing. Now, what will effect will that be 
on the Winnipeg marketplace for independent promoters or even the Canadian marketplace for independent promoters. Okay, so I another thing I'm going to confess to, one of the things I've tried to convince Impact Wrestling to do is to book Winnipeg because I, I think Winnipeg has uh, 11,000 wrestling fans because SmackDown on September 30th did 9,000 fans for live SmackDown at the same time the Winnipeg Blue Bombers did 33,000 fans for Winnipeg Blue Bombers versus Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So you can't tell me that of the 33,000 at the IG Field that night, there wasn't at least three, two to 3,000 fans right. that would have went to SmackDown if they weren't at the Bomber game, right? So there's 9,000 9, plus two, 3,000 fans. That's 11 or 12,000 fans. That's how big the marketplace right now is for Winnipeg wrestling. So it should be a very exciting time for independent promoters to get serious and run a venue that's bigger than 200 people. Right. That's what you have to do. If you're stuck running a 200-seat venue, you're, the effort you're putting forth to fill it is an effort to fill 200 people. You're not sitting there going, oh, I've got 800 tickets to fill. I'm going to work that hard. One of the big, con- one of the big um, con- uh, con- criticisms I used to deal with is he's never going to fill that venue he's trying to run. I used to hear that all the time. People at Scott's Hall, he's never going to fill that place. I didn't book the place thinking I could fill it, but I didn't want to book a place that held 400 people and only work that hard. If I have, if I have 2,000 tickets that I can sell, I ain't stopping when I can sell 400. I ain't stopping when I can sell 600. That means I'm less than halfway there. I'm working my tail off to get as many of those tickets sold as possible. Okay, so, so let's, let's I talk wanna, about the impact thing quickly here. Um, yeah. So if you were in charge of that, how would you promote impact? Cause they don't quite have the profile of WWE and, and uh, all elite. They're a awesome company. They've got great talent, but you would need a larger market, um, awareness. So how would you, okay, how would you so promote it? Are you going to like, is it going to be like radio and television? Uh, is it going to so be, let's be uh, yeah. So, so let's be honest here. Impact coming to Winnipeg, maybe likely won't happen. Unfortunately, it should happen, but it likely won't happen. Impact coming to Winnipeg, though, they have more profile than your local independent wrestling company. 100%. Wrestling, wrestling fans know what Impact Wrestling is. Wrestling fans might be curious about what Impact Wrestling is and may want to check it out to sample it. They have an advantage. Impact would draw 500 people in Winnipeg just by announcing they have a date and working hard in the market. So what would Impact do to draw their wrestling fans? Well, they would have to have a very strong social media push on their date. But if they just did social media, they will not do, it will not do what it could do. What they, if I was impact, what I would do is I would strike a deal with Winnipeg pro wrestling and say, listen, we're coming into your marketplace and we need your help. So what we're going to do is we're going to acknowledge that we have two WPW matches on our undercard. So you're going to get two matches. You get to decide what they are. It's going to be second and fourth match on the show it'll be announced by your ring announcer comes into the impact wrestling ring the following contest is brought to you by winnipeg pro wrestling that way they take the initiative as part of the partnership to push hard that showcase right so they're going to push it to their ticket base so now their ticket base is guaranteed to be 350 that's why they have that string of sellouts work together to to engage their audience to the impact live event right Yes. So with their 350, and then there's a lot of hardcore wrestling fans in Winnipeg that would go check out an impact show. So the, the, whether that's 200 or 500 people, now you have 
500 to 800 people who want to check out this impact show. Then you're going to have the wrestlers who aren't booked on the show who want to go there. Well, whether they can get a comp or whether they have to buy a ticket to get into the door, that's, that's not for me to say, but they're going to be in the building, you know, lumbering around. Now a good advertising program and that if you have the right top name on the show, Tommy Dreamer, Bubba Ray, Bully Ray, Bully Ray Dudley, um, I don't know who else is. Rhino's on the Impact brand. They probably have a few other pretty good names on that brand. PCO, uh, like, but if they if they use a big star on their on their brand to then be a part of their advertising, they might get a hundred and two hundred or three hundred casual fans to come out and check it out. Now all of a sudden, you could be at a thousand people for Impact. Impact isn't drawing a thousand people anywhere in North America right now. So for them to get into Winnipeg and do a thousand people they then have a marketplace that they can engage and try to become loyal, dedicated followers to their brand. That's why they should want to do Winnipeg. All elite doing Winnipeg would probably draw 8,000 to 10,000 fans because Omega and Jericho are the two biggest stars on their brand. SmackDown or Raw coming here for TV would draw another eight to 10,000 people. So what the local promoters in Winnipeg should be excited and should have the confidence right now to book a bigger venue and work harder to, to get that audience that's going to the big leagues, you got to get five, you got to get 10% of that to come to your local shows. That's what you should be trying to do. All right. So, so you would be looking for right around that 1000 fan mark. If you're, if you're running this impact situation, if you're trying to get impact uh, foothold in the market, you'd be shooting for the, the 1000 off the bat. I want to be very clear. I have no interest in running impact wrestling. Of course not. Scott Demore does does an amazing job. And for five years, he's navigated that brand through a pandemic. And he's what Scott Demore claimed to fame over five years has been is he's brought respectability to that brand. And he's done an amazing job at that. Scott Demore not wanting to look at Winnipeg. If I was running impact, which I will not ever have any aspirations to do. I would run all my TV in six centers, Chicago, Toronto, Winnipeg, uh, somewhere in, in New York in, in that, uh, what do they call that? The, um, East coast. I don't remember what they call that, but in that area, new, well, in that area, right? Like in the New York, Pennsylvania area, uh, I would try. So that's, four markets. I would maybe try to get a foothold back in Florida where TNA used to have a decent fan base thanks to the impact zone. I'd try to get somewhere in there and I would maybe try to do Texas or some other wrestling haunt. I don't know where where that would be, but somewhere where I can generate 800 to 1,000 fans and I would just rotate my TV there. So I always have that 1,000 fans that are hungry for my product. Right now, they're doing Vegas for some of their TV. They're doing, um, they're doing Fort Lauderdale. They're doing, they're doing TV in weird places, Louisville, Kentucky. Well, Ohio Valley hasn't done well in Louisville. Uh, no one's really done well in Louisville. What's the point in trying to go there and generate a fan base where, the, where there's no fan base to be generated, right? Look at where WWE is doing extremely well and identify how to get 10% of that audience. That's what Impact should, should be trying to do. That's why Winnipeg would be a viable market for Impact. It's going to be a huge market for all elite if, in fact, maybe that's the second brand that has somehow managed to get a lease in Winnipeg. I Not confirmed. I'm telling you it's very strong possibility that we're going to see a different wrestling company in our major venue in this town. 
but it's not 100% confirmed. That's why that Facebook post got taken down. Okay, so we've talked about this in the past, how, how WWE kind of had an exclusive with, with, our, with our local arena here. Yeah. How do you suppose this reported other company was able to break that? Great question. So here's what I understand. I heard personally from the venue manager, this was back in 2011 or 12, so it's dated information I'm about to drop on you. But I heard personally from the, I think he's vice president of entertainment for True North Entertainment. His name's Kevin Donnelly. And in a meeting talking about the viability of another company coming in and running the venue, um, Canada Life Center, which holds 15000 for hockey, he said, my deal with WWE would not allow me to even look at an outside company. Now, granted, AEW changed the landscape. But he said, the deal that I have directly with WWE is, is so valuable that I would never entertain an outside option. And over the last two years, that's one thing I heard a lot of is All Elite was trying to get into Winnipeg, but that the venue has a deal that they don't want to break with WWE because they're guaranteed two good events a year, which have included te- the last two events in Winnipeg have been television tapings, which help big time. Let mm-hmm. me tell you. So the, I'd heard that there was very little headway to be had. Now, what I would assume if there is in fact any substance to the rumor is that um, all elite has come to true North and said, we don't care about, about, you know, you working with us. We want a strict venue agreement where we're going to pay you the rent and all of the costs associated with us promoting this event and you give us the venue and we'll, we'll work hard to market it. It'll be our responsibility to build it. And you, your job is just to let us, you know, come in here and do what we do. That's what I would bet is, is currently the situation. All Elite will be coming in and it'll be their efforts and True North will still push the date, much like the NFL game that happened in Winnipeg in 2018, I think it was, 19. That was strictly a third-party promoter rented the venue, and the venue just made itself available and, and retrofit itself to be an NFL venue for a night. It was the Winnipeg Blue Bombers or Winnipeg Football Club who operate the stadium had nothing to do with the, with the marketing or the ticket sales or anything like that. That's exactly how I think it's happening. If in fact it's true that we're going to get all elite in Winnipeg. Okay. So this is an interesting thought process because we talked about how you would promote impact. How are you going to promote AEW if they came in? You are, you're, you're the man. They want you to promote it. They want you to get butts and seats. How are you going to do it? Well, if I'm, if I'm Tony Khan, the first thing I do is I schedule my on-sale date. Um, I schedule my on-sale date and I send Kenny Omega to one, to, and Chris Jericho to the press conference. Uh, I leave Don Callis at home. You have nothing to offer <laughs> at all. I'm sorry to be so blunt. You, take your, you think you're more valuable than you are. You're not going to be a part of the press conference even though it's your hometown. Uh, but Omega and Jericho do... Um, they come in and they do the press conference and then I would have a major, a major signing or a major interactive event with my fans where everybody who bought, who bought a ticket on the opening day can then go to, so when UFC came to town, okay, this is good. Actually, UFC came to town in 2013. Actually, uh, my TMC where Leo app, I think it was sponsored the event. And it was a fluke. It had something to do with what we did with Matt Hughes. And we had to, 
UFC was going to hit us with a copyright infringement because we kept referring to Matt Hughes as UFC Hall of Famer. So UFC Canada contacted me and said, oh, okay, uh, you need to get permission for trademarks. I said, okay, how much is that going to cost? They said, oh, it's not that bad, actually. Uh, I think it cost us $500 to get a trademark right. But the, but the guy was so good to us. So I went to Jeff Dick. I said, hey, I got to pay $500 to get use the trademarks of UFC. He's like, why is it only $500? I said, I don't know. He said, okay, I'll, we'll, we'll write that check. But the guy who contacted me, he was in charge of corporate sales for um, UFC. And he said, for Canada, UFC Canada, which has been disbanded since then. He said, okay, so for this $500, I'll give you use of right or use of mark, but I'm also going to give you a sponsorship package built in. So you're going to get X amount of tickets to the event and you're going to be our personal invitees to the way, to the way in. Wow. And you're, yeah, like, and, and there's a sponsor meet and mingle before the event. So it was all liquor you could, and all the liquor and food you could eat for $500. We would have paid $500 a ticket for this thing. That's how good it was. And that was only, we had to pay it because to get the copyright to be able to say Matt Hughes was a UFC Hall of Famer. So uh, it was, but that's what jogs my mind of what Tony Khan should do. He should do a VIP mingle on the night of the press conference to announce his date in Winnipeg that you can come down and meet Jericho and Omega and use that to push tickets and also introduce the idea of corporate sponsors in Winnipeg getting behind him. Because if he does, if he does have to rent the MTS or the Ken Life Center, the rent on that thing is probably in the hundred thousand dollar range per day. Maybe not that much, but it'll be high. You're talking, you're talking very high five figures to rent that place for a day. So if he can find some corporate support locally to get behind him, to help pay for that, it will only help his bottom line. So you should do an event like that to really, the tickets are going to sell themselves just on Jericho and Omega talking about coming home. I'm not sure. I'm not completely convinced Kenny Omega is that excited to come home and wrestle in Winnipeg. One thing I always heard about Kenny Omega was he was very frustrated that the media got behind him when he started to make it uh, after he became a star in Japan. When people would reach out to him and want to do interviews with him, he'd say, where were you when I was struggling at, at PCW in Winnipeg? Yeah. And we needed your support. Why, why would I do my interview with you now that I'm a big star? Wrong attitude to have, by the way, on Kenny Omega's part. Don't, don't be mad at the media because they don't, they don't realize you're important when you're becoming important. Leverage the media when they want, when they want to acknowledge that you've become a big deal. That's my opinion. Yeah, and I agree with you. Like, I mean, I can see where Kenny would be coming from with that attitude because you get a bit of chip on your shoulder. Like, now you want something from EA. Now you want something. But you're right. It's the wrong attitude to have. Yeah, they want something from you, but you want something from them as well. Well, you in Kenny Omega's case, the media is always going to be there for him now. He is as big of a star they ever come out of Winnipeg as there is. Him and Jericho. So he can turn, he can, whatever he needs the media, he'll be able to get it. But he's going to need the media when, when All Elite comes to town and they need to sell 10,000 tickets. So that's, that's really what he's got. And that's when he's going to turn it on and he's going to do as many interviews as he can. Jericho's going to do as many interviews as he can. Egotistical Tony Khan's going to do as many interviews as he can. For some reason, no one's going to want to talk to Don Gallup. I don't know why. I know you think Don's <laughs> a big deal, just like you think Luther's a big deal. Don is, a big not, deal. Don is not a big deal. But that's, that's what we're playing with now. I believe very wholeheartedly that Winnipeg is going to see an alternative to WWE for live entertainment this year. Okay, well, there you go, right from the horse's mouth himself. And I've never called you the horse before, but I guess that's what we're doing today.
<laughs> there we go. We're coming back with Mary Brown's mailbag, right? You better believe it, my friend. It's time for the Mary Brown's mailbag. Mary Brown's Crave Delicious. Who has 14 Manitoba locations? Mary Brown's Chicken. Who only uses Manitoba chicken? Mary Brown's Chicken. And who only uses Manitoba-grown potatoes hand-cut in-store? I bet you've already guessed. Even Mary Brown's coleslaw is made fresh in-store from whole carrots and cabbage. Download Mary Brown's app today and take advantage of money-saving deals and even a secret menu. You can order ahead to get your Mary Brown's faster. Mary Brown's Chicken. Crave delicious. All right, Mike, we're back with the Mary Brown's mailbag, and we had a fantastic Mega Mary Brown's mailbag last week was a lot of fun. I, I mean, people are talking all about that. Well, I can't believe how many people listened to that episode. Um, it, it, was, it was our most, other than our first episode, it was the most listened to episode of the Total B She Show. So when you're first and last or that successful, you keep on going. Hopefully that momentum continues into this week. Um, but yeah, what are the, what do we got in the mailbag this week? We, we got three questions in the mailbag this week that we're going to tackle, uh, you know, right after the show though, I'm headed over to Mary Brown's to get a Nashville hot, big Mary going to be good times. I'm actually headed to Mary. I went to Mary Brown's two days ago Oh, and I had a big Mary, just a regular big Mary and I loved it. So I, you know what though? I don't get, I ask for no pickles. Why do people put pickles on, on chicken sandwiches? Oh, I like that. No, I like that. That's Uh, good. Maybe I got to try that. I've been, I've been resisting the pickles. I I know Um, it it sounds weird, but it'll, it'll change your life. There you go. I'm putting a lot of pressure on these pickles. All right, here we go. First question. And actually this, we've got two questions from super fan Dave Cote. He's a little bit miffed that he missed the mega Mary Brown's mailbag last week. So he sent two questions. Number one on Twitter, he asks using the hashtag, hashtag Mary Brown's mailbag. What are your thoughts on tales from the territory? Good question. Mike, I, you, I'll, I'll let I you have, take this one. I have watched every episode and I love the series. Uh, the one with Portland wrestling had my very, very good friend, a beloved figure for me, a guy who's such a mentor to me, Bushwhacker Luke. Uh, and he was talking about Portland wrestling and that was the latest episode I saw. I really liked the stampede wrestling episode where Bret Hart talked about Stu and did a lot of imitations of Stu. Uh, that was good. He was talking about how they did an angle where Stu broke his arm and had to, had to have a cast and he was walking around the house without a cast and the milkman came and he's like, ah, where's my cast? <laughs> um, I, I like it. It's a great, it, 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 there's nothing fancy to it. It's, uh, it's guys getting around and telling stories. That's exactly what would happen if you book two or three guys from the same territory for a show. They would get together and they would just shoot the she's and tell old stories and, and it would be great. Um, so I love the series. I like that. Sometimes I wonder, like the one from uh, AWA had Ken Patera, Jim Brunzel, Greg Gagne, and Medusa. Uh, sometimes I wonder how did they come up with who they come up with? Now I get why it's Stampede. They did Bret Hart. They did uh, Dr. D. David Schultz. And they did, uh, who was the other? Abdullah. Guy? Abdullah, yeah, that, which was an interesting one. Was super. And I wondered, like, yeah, I wonder, like, they didn't get Bruce Hart, for instance, right? But I guess because Bruce and Brett maybe wouldn't do it together. And also, Bruce isn't quite the talker Bret Hart is. So it's always interesting when they put together their panel who they get. Memphis, they didn't have Fournette, for instance. 
but they had Dutch Mantel. Anytime Dutch Mantel tells a story, I listen. Yes. Because that's how good he tells the story. Um, but then they had Jarrett and they had Jerry, they had Jeff and Jerry Jarrett and they had Jerry Lawler. So they had the right people to, t- and Jimmy Hart. They had the right people to tell those stories. Um, but yeah, it's great. It's awesome. It's a great little concept. I'm surprised it's on network TV because to me, it, it's kind of dry for, 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 not network, but cable TV. It's kind of dry for a TV series, but it's something that wrestling fans would buy in droves as video on demand. But it's doing good. I love it. And, and, you know, I like a lot of, a lot of the episodes, but what I like most about it is they pick sort of, I don't know if they pick or if they, they assign it beforehand, but they have one of the guys be sort of the leader of the conversation and he, he steers mm-hmm. it. And I thought Jeff Jarrett did a fantastic job of steering that conversation with the Memphis thing. Cause you could tell a lot of the times those guys, cause they have got a lot of great stories. They really wanted to go off road with some of these stories and, and branch out you know, way, way beyond the point. And he was super good at keeping everybody on point. So I think my favorite episode would be probably the Memphis episode. Do you have a favorite episode? Uh, I liked AWA because Ken Patera is my hero. All right, there you go. AWA, Ken Patera. <laughs> but let me say this. Ken Patera is my hero isn't because of his, his social views because he's, he's very, he's, he's very out there. But just because he's so unapologetically Ken Patera, I get a kick out of that. Yeah, it's still, he still has that sort of Ken Patera swagger after all these years. Yeah, like he thinks that everyone's an, an ease hole and that he's not afraid to tell everyone that they're an ease hole. So, yeah. Okay, and the second question from superfan Dave Cote on Twitter, again, using the hashtag, hashtag Mary Brown's mailbag, he says, do you think that wrestling appreciates its fans or just assumes the hardcore's will always be there. Well, it's well documented on this podcast that I think wrestling promoters lean on their hardcore fans and only market to their hardcore fans. So wrestling promoters definitely value their hardcore fans. It's a delicate balance for how you're going to market to the mainstreams and still keep your hardcores happy. It's like, Think of it like this. If you were doing the series Yellowstone and you're in season five now, I believe, how do you keep the viewers happy in season five who've been with you since season one if you have to introduce who John Dutton is or who Rip is in season five, right? So the thing is, is when you're always trying to generate new fans and you still have to keep your, your engaged fans uh, happy, you have to, it's, it's a balancing act. So I, I'm different. I value the hardcore fans because they're dance with the ones that brung you value them, make sure that they always have a, a direct voice to, to you with what you want to do. And you can always have a conversation with them. Okay. We're doing this because we need to do this to grow. Um, but you also have to emphasize your effort on marketing to brand new fans. And those are what I call mainstream fans. And that's mom who takes little junior to the show, not because mom likes the show, but because, um, because junior loves to play the wrestling video game or watches wrestling at home. And she thinks, Oh, junior will have fun. So I will take him. Now that is one of the debates that, that I have is that moms tend to do that more than dads. And then the dads are like, no, I take my kid to local wrestling all the time. Yeah. But dad, you already like wrestling. That's why you did it. Mom doesn't like wrestling, but it will still do it because she thinks Junior is going to like it. I don't think there's a lot of dads that are like, oh, I'm going to hate the next two hours, but I'll take Junior because he wants to go. 
that's much more rare than mom doing it because she loves to put the smile on Junior's face. That's my opinion on that. So I think the value on every, every wrestling promoter in every locale is sitting there thinking, how do I generate the 200 locals? Cause I need that base. But what they have to be thinking is how do I draw the 300 people who aren't, who aren't the dedicated fan? Cause that's how I'm going to grow my business. Both are equally important. All right. Very good. Very good. I agree with you on that one. This one coming into our email. This one's from Shelby who asks, uh, apparently we have uh, another female fan who who would have thought anyways. Uh, yeah, you can count them on one hand. Pretty, pretty <laughs> much. And I do. Uh, Shelby asks, who is the best Winnipeg wrestler to not have made it? Okay. Well, um, that's a good question. His name is JT Atlas Andy Anderson. Uh, he trained here in Winnipeg in 1996 under Vance, Nevada. He was in a time where nobody was in the gym and nobody had a look. Well, I guess that's not true. There was an era right before him of, of big power lifter, bodybuilder types, uh, Major Impact and Christian Hawk. But JT Atlas came to Winnipeg from Edmonton. He had played high-level hockey. I think he'd played, he, he played triple A at the time it was called triple A midget. They've changed that term. He almost made the WHL, I believe something like that. Anyway, he was more athletic than just about anybody I'd ever met. And he was in the gym and looked like a million dollars. He had a resemblance to when Buff Bagwell was becoming a big star. Andy Anderson, he, JT Atlas changed his name to Andy Anderson when he went to wrestle in the States. And he was kind of, he was Buff Bagwell junior. He looked like Buff Bagwell, but he could do things that, he could do unrealistic things off the top rope. He was amazing talent. He would definitely be in the conversation as the guy who just missed um, Chi-Chi Cruz. Can't miss him. And that guy should have made it. Um, Chi-Chi Cruz broke in in 1984, 85, or 86. I think it's 86. He broke in at such a time where if he if he had broken in eighty one by eighty four he would have done AWA TV matches and I believe AWA would have made him a regular from nineteen eighty six to nineteen ninety when they ultimately went under and I think from that exposure by eighty eight or eighty nine he would have been able to to turn that into a career with either Crockett or Turner or WWF at the time uh, he was outstanding he had good size he was six foot. Four. He was 240, 250 pounds and in the ring, un, untouchable in terms of timing and, and psychology and ability. So Andy Anderson, JT Atlas, same guy. Chichi Cruz is another one that comes to mind. And currently, Mentolo, by all indications, could have and should have done more. Um, and it's nothing that Mentolo did wrong. He, he, Maybe there was times where he could have chased an opportunity that he maybe didn't for whatever reason, but like his work speaks for itself. He could main event anywhere in Canada any day of the week. He can main event anywhere in the United States any day of the week. Sometimes you just miss. In the case of Cruz and Mentolo, it's just a case of they just didn't get the opportunity when it should have when it should have been there. Uh, Andy Anderson, JT Atlas chased every opportunity. He went from Winnipeg. He met Debbie Combs at a, on a Tony Candelo show. She said, get your ass down to the stage. She lined him up with Terry Taylor, which led to a WCW tryout. He spent time waiting there to try to get something from WCW. Debbie then let him live with her place while he worked through the Tennessee Independence. 
He met somebody who was aligned with Victor Quiones in, in, uh, in Puerto Rico. He went to Puerto Rico. He went to Mexico. He went to Japan. He did almost everything that Sarah Stock did. Sarah Stock made it and, and JT Atlas, Andy Anderson didn't. But the hunger that that guy had from 1996 until 2003 when his career ended with a, well, mostly ended with a concussion on a water slide. That guy should have made it, could have made it. And um, he had so much passion, desire. And then, of course, it was Omega after 2002 that did make it. But uh, before there was Kenny Omega, there was a guy named JT Atlas. That guy was the guy. But Cruz and Mentolo definitely as well. Yeah, and I, you know, to be honest, Mentolo was the guy that popped to mind for me immediately because he's just so uber talented. And I've always wondered mm-hmm. w- wonder why something didn't happen with him. Like, even now, I mean, he's probably in the later stages of his career, although I don't want to put words in his mouth. I, you know, I, if I was, I would still try to book him for a big show. Like, he's still delivering at a high level. Yeah, if I was running a show, he would be a guy that I would reach out to and see what could be done. Uh, one of the things that I've always heard about Mentolo, I remember Bushwhacker Luke saying it, and I think Dinsmore might have said it during WFX, if he lost the mask and became, because he's a good-looking guy, it became a different character that might help him as opposed to hurt him because Vince and some of the bigger companies don't like masks. Um, and he maybe he needed some charisma help, maybe. I don't know. Because of his mask, he doesn't cut a lot of promos or whatever. I don't know what it is on why mental illness. It would be, it would be pure speculation. I think it's just a case of timing. He never got the opportunity when he should have got it and he, and just missed because of lack of opportunity. Um, but when you say mental, I would, I would debate with you and say Cruz, Chichi Cruz should have made it because in a time of heavyweight, that guy was the, as gifted of heavyweight as there was. A lot of his matches are on YouTube. Chichi, uh, search Chichi Cruz. You'll see matches against him and Edge. You'll see matches against him and Tim Flowers. You'll see matches against him and a whole slew of talent. This guy was it. He had it all. Yeah, and I I believe uh, I'm pretty sure fairly fairly recently, like within the past year, I watched a match with him in the USWA. Uh, it was a tag, mm-hmm. tag match, and it was just it was on fire, like it stands up. And I, I ended up yeah. se- sending the message to friend of the show Travis, a friend of mine. Uh, and saying, "Hey, let's wa- watch this match and let me know what you think." And he w- he was like, "Yeah, this match is fantastic." Yeah, yeah. So Chichi Cruz went from Winnipeg to Memphis and worked for USWA in 1996. One of the guys he worked with was a guy named Flex Kavanaugh, also known as The Rock. Yes. So, yeah, his career. He in '96 when he was in USWA, they were aligned with WWF as a developmental, and he had a real shot. Like he. It, it's a, I'll never be able to figure out why he missed. He just barely missed. All right, there we are. Three questions with the Mary Browns mailbag. Another week, another week, Mike Davidson, in the books. And we really want to thank everybody for sending in their questions to us on Twitter using the hashtag, hashtag Mary Browns mailbag, to our inbox, totalbeesshees at gmail.com, Facebook and Instagram, totalbeesshees as well. And boy, like we've said before, last week's episode was a cooker, and I think this one's going to be too. Thank you, Chris. Have a great weekend. Next week I'm in studio. We will have an interview guest, I promise you. All right, let's do it. Glenn goes up, play us out. Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave-driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling.
Well, you think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammerlock? I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, I love to watch the missing link bang his head on a corner post and the romper bumper butt butt delivered by the ice man. The Freebirds, Roberts, Hayes, and Gardy, but what I like the most is Kerry delivering the iron claw as only the Vaughn Ericks can. Well, the boss called again, said it's time and a half. You'll come in tonight, and I just had to laugh. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, my girlfriend called, and friend, she could be a model for Fredericks of Hollywood, but she was hassling, really hassling. Said I could come over early and stay real late, but I told her, honey, if we have a date, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Kevin Von Erich, when he's really high and flying, I like to see Ric Flair, but he's out there strutting. Andre the Giant must be seven foot nine. Well, I wouldn't miss this for a dozen girls, and I wouldn't miss this for nothing. I said, honey, I hope you ain't hurt. She said, I'm putting on my wrestling shirt. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, last night I dreamed my life was over. There was golden streets and fields of clover and the lights, they were dazzling. I looked for old St. Peter at the pearly gates. I found a note that said, I won't be too late. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. There's gentleman Chris Adams with his super kick in place. Young Mike Von Erich with his own iron claw. And I'll never forget the classic matches of the 70s and 80s. Two champions, Harley Race and David Von Erich. St. Peter told me as he let me in, from now on, every Monday and Friday, Glenn, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, if I'd known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have bought those advanced tickets. By the way, St. Pete, are you sure these wings will fit in a ringside seat? Is Fritz coming up here anytime soon?